Healthcare is one of those sectors that tends to be pretty reliable, even in challenging markets. Broadly speaking, healthcare is ripe for ESG investing because it offers attractive historical returns and, in many cases, produces solutions for social good. These days, the healthcare industry is going through a major transformation. Many expect to see a boom or at least a gradual increase in investing in this industry. So, what are the key drivers and opportunities investors should consider? Here to help us find some answers is Sanjeev Talwar, Senior Healthcare Analyst and Portfolio Manager at Invesco, and John Devine, Senior Investing Reporter at U.S. News and World Report. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having Sanjeev. me. So Sanjeev, let's start first talking about healthcare's performance during the market's bumpy road during the first quarter and now at the end of the second quarter. Shed some light on the sector's performance. What's going on there? Yeah, good grief. Well, you know, to state the obvious, the stock market has been incredibly volatile. And I think since the market bottomed probably around March 23rd, healthcare has all but recovered. Uh, And it's somewhat in line with the broader market, I think, for the year. But I will say there's a very large difference in the performance in different pockets of healthcare over the year. And this variability has been, I think, directly driven by the COVID crisis. Different pockets of healthcare have been affected very differently. For example, sort of the two critical pockets that have outperformed, maybe those associated with telehealth and then biotech. And then probably the worst performing has been sort of med device companies that you know, specialized in elective procedures, for example, joint replacements. So if you're talking about these new technologies that are emerging, telehealth being one of those, with this, what sort of returns could investors expect to see in the second half of 2020, especially in light of those new technologies emerging? Yeah, I think for one, sort of near term and then sort of future returns will depend in large part on the trajectory and the length and depth uh, of the COVID crisis. As a base case, I'd, I'd expect at least the pandemic to continue, perhaps even becoming endemic, at least until there's a vaccine you know, early next year. So that, I think, is my base case that would inform investments. Yeah, and I, I would just say, um, this is John here, that um, in, in telehealth, um, there's really only one major player that's publicly traded that I know of, and S- Sanjeev may know of more, but Teladoc is sort of the, the big player here. Um, and, um, you know, the president has, has mentioned telehealth um, in a White House address, uh, sort of emphasizing that as an area that uh, needed more focus that um, was going to be helpful during this crisis. Um, Medicare has begun to cover that. Um, and I think that, you know, competitors will will come into this area, but telehealth has a good um, start there, or excuse me, Teladoc does. Um, and I know, you know, friends and, and family that have already used that service to um, visit with doctors uh, remotely, and they even do um, counseling services and, and stuff like that. So I think that's a really helpful area that is going to be here for the long term. And uh, that that's really the company to, to watch, in my opinion. And so, John, just in terms of variables that might be able to dampen that, you know, you mentioned clearly that this is the wave of not even the future. It's happening now. 
what are you hearing um, in terms of issues that could be problematic are either situations that could change the trajectory of what seems to be an upward trend for telehealth? Yeah, you know, um, I think that there are some things that, um, and again, I'm not a doctor, so, uh, you know, let's clarify that. But, you know, there are some um, issues that really may not be well suited for telehealth. And, um, you know, obviously, if there are chronic uh, illnesses or issues that you actually have to get um, checked out in person to see what the um, options are for you. Um, there are limitations there, but I think that people that, that really the psychology of um, you know the average person is going to skew more towards being conservative in the future, and you know maybe if it's not one of those areas uh, that they'd be more inclined to do. Um, Telehealth, so it does have limitations, but um, I don't see um, you know this slowing down as a as a long term trend. Okay, great. In in terms of looking at the broader picture of sustainability for investors who are interested in impact investing and sustainable investing, do you see Sanjeev that there are certain trends that those ESG investors need to think about as it relates to the healthcare industry, and if so, what are they? Uh, yeah, let me just actually then echo a little bit sort of what John said. Uh, you know, certainly, I think maybe I'll highlight just two or three of them. Uh, you know, the first one is, as I sort of mentioned, telehealth, and I think it would, we are seeing a structural shift in behavior by patients and physicians to adopt sort of telehealth in all its forms. And this will likely stick to that, at least in my view, and lead to some profound and long-term shifts in, in healthcare delivery. Um, the second area that I'm sort of intrigued by is biotech. You know, this is a pocket that has been depressed for a good five years. You know, I think starting when uh, Hillary tweeted about drug pricing in 2015. Um, but sort of the outlook has changed for them to me. Um, you know, most obviously it's sort of all about innovation, and this is most evident in and how biotech is solving, or at least playing a role in solving the COVID crisis, you know, starting with the antivirals and coming up uh, maybe the next month or two, antibodies and vaccines. And, you know, certainly the political rhetoric around drug pricing uh, has sort of died out, and so much increasing sentiment around pricing. Um, and, of course, historically low valuations. Um, and another sort of theme in the longer term might be biotech being a beneficiary of you know, U.S.-China tech sort of rivalry. So I think, and, and maybe there's a third one I'd like to add, uh, oftentimes overlooked, but it's biological manufacturing, right? This notion of vaccines and, and biologics, uh, there's going to be a massive bump in, in, in sort of the demand for these sort of things, simply because we don't have enough uh, vaccine or in fact antibody manufacture to go around probably for the next year or two. So those are the sort of three areas, even in terms of ESG, you know, sort of, I'd like to highlight. If we look at M&A possibilities, so if we look at the larger biotech firms versus the smaller ones, do you see um, anything percolating there in terms of how that might impact expectations around biotech performance in general? Uh, yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, I think we have seen, we have started to see uh, sort of, towards the latter half of last year, 
a clear pickup in activity, at least uh, in my view, at these depressed valuations. Uh, the amount of innovation uh, that some of the smaller mid-cap companies, um, you know, own, um, and the amount of cash sitting uh, in large biopharma companies, I don't think it's ever been as high. And so I think there's a willingness now uh, to put that money to work. And, and, you know, personally, I would see sort of the next maybe three or even four years uh, a lot of consolidation. I think there's uh, a lot of duplicate R&D uh, and medicines in the space in the pipeline. So that needs to sort of come in a little bit. Um, and so no time like sort of near future. So if I were to do, if we do a rapid response, um, you know, question for you. So if we wanted to look at top five, top three stocks in this area and just giving some additional context around them and why it might be good for investors to at least start thinking about those top three or top five how would you approach that? Um, and I'd love for that to go to, to both of you. How would you look at the top three or the top five stocks in this area in terms of good ones to think about at this point? Yes. Uh, well, sort of to uh, piggyback on on something that Sanjeev just mentioned with um, the M&A aspect and, and biotech. Uh, one thing just to um, to say before getting into any specific names is that investors should realize that oftentimes biotech is, uh, it can be with, with the smaller names, especially sort of a binary outcome. You know, it can be either they get acquired for a, a huge multiple of, um, of their current, you know, price or, or for, for a huge premium, or, you know, they don't have any revenue at the moment and they're, everything is riding on something that's about to come out. And if it, if it doesn't, um, the clinical data isn't good, then it doesn't turn out well. But with, with that said, um, you know, I think that uh, there are, so, so I, I would just say that you need to know your, your risk profile first. Um, I think that on the lower risk side of things, you have um, sort of companies that, uh, like a, a Becton Dickinson, actually, it, it, it's a dividend aristocrat. It's multi-billion dollar company. Uh, it's going to be fine, sort of, no matter what happens. Uh, but it makes vials, for instance, uh, which will, you know, pretty much doubtlessly be used to um, roll out, uh, you know, whenever we get a vaccine. Um, then you have sort of higher higher risk names that uh, may have a lot to gain. Um, like like a Moderna, um, which is working on a vaccine. I, I mean, there's a lot of companies working on vaccines now. I think there's over 100 globally. Um, but I think that sort of getting back to the, the ESG um, focus that um, some lower risk names that will be needed uh, regardless of who comes up with what or who, who the really home, one, home run winner is, is you know, retail pharmacies like CVS and Walgreens, um, I think that they're going to be uh, crucial for distributing um, and administering the the vaccine um, when that day comes. Um, so those are just a few uh, names. And I'm sure Sanjeev has um, some other interesting um, ideas. Well, uh, absolutely. So, you know, let me sort of try and tackle that uh... M&A question, right? And, and it's one that I get very often. Uh, it does come with a warning. Uh, these sort of companies, mid-cap, sort of biotech are extremely volatile. Uh, but I would think sort of any company with a really good 
platform or late stage clinical asset uh, is likely in play. Uh, you know, if, if I were to offhand uh, sort of pick a, a two or three in that sort of size area that, you know, just scientifically I find very interesting, uh, you know, company like, and these may be sort of relatively not known to well, Decipher comes to mind, uh, you know, late stage cancer asset that's sort of looking pretty good. Uh, Unicure, which is a, you know, uh, a gene therapy company, just an extraordinary platform in my view. And then a couple of sort of smaller companies that are working on really good science. Uh, one of them is Principia and one of them is Arena. Um, so that's sort of, if I were just to think of top of the head, uh, some of the science that, you know, occurs to me offhand. So one thing that I do want to talk about when you're mentioning these or any stock, particularly in this area, there could possibly be reputational risks. So what types of negative news or reputational risks might we hear about um, in the media, whether it's now or whether if we're thinking about possible scenarios, what could possibly turn the trajectory of these stocks around based on, you know, findings, negative news, and reputational risk that could really play a role in investors' considerations? I, I think that's a great yeah. question. I think there's um, one one issue off the top that I would just mention, and then I'll pass the ball back. But um, I think it's the, the issue in testing in the early phases of this has been that there's been a number of companies that have come out with claims that they couldn't really back up about the accuracy of their tests or, um, you know, what it meant for the future. It, you know, if you got a positive test and um, does that really mean that you're, um, you know, is that any actionable information and, and how reliable is that? Um, so that um, I think, you know, regulators I've seen have cracked down on that a bit. But in the early goings, uh, you know, I think there was um, arguably some fraud in that area. And so it's just really important when it comes to testing to sort of vet those companies and, and make sure they're not shady, I would say. Yeah, you know, I can add to that a couple of things, and especially coming back to this sort of biotech theme. Um, you know, obviously, I think drug pricing is, is sort of foremost. Uh, uh, you know, for good reason, the sort of industry has been pilloried uh, with the vaccines out and sort of, you know, Gilead's antiviral that seems to work pretty well. Um, there's got to be some caution around how these things are priced, especially in the face of a sort of global pandemic. Um, you know, I, I think that's going to sort of be one area of focus and everybody's going to be looking at it. Uh, to me, at least, the biopharma sector will just do themselves a favor, um, you know, by sort of pricing uh, appropriately, let me say, in this space. Great. So if we were to look at um, and take that view more holistically and have a rapid fire top thing that may catch us by surprise, if we look back at 2021 and say, wow, how did we miss that? What would that thing be that particularly institutional investors may not be factoring in at this point? What would you say, and maybe one of the factors that you just mentioned would fall into that category, but what would you say would be the top surprise area that institutional investors should at least think about now so they won't be totally taken aback and surprised? Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, we spoke about quite a few things. Uh, it, it, 
maybe if I so I'll go back to you know just because of COVID uh, crisis, and um, there's probably still not enough uh, certainty uh, whether some of the vaccines will work. Uh, I think you know while prediction is always hazardous, but I, I think we can be sort of quite optimistic just given the biology of the virus that, that some of these will come through. Um, you know, there's still considerable doubt, uh, even in the face of some elevated sort of valuation. Um, and the other, you know, might be this sort of when you have this plethora of treatments, how do you get it to, I don't know, 8 billion people around the world? Uh, and, and that is sort of the manufacturing, you know, who supplies it? I don't think people are paying enough attention to it. Uh, that's sort of a very, very critical area because we just don't have enough bandwidth and resources to go around. And so that is another thing I think uh, could come out of that field. Yeah, and um, I guess on my end, and this doesn't, uh, to be clear, directly relate to um, you know coronavirus, but I think that a uh, little bit longer term, um, that gene editing. Um, is going to be a much, much bigger area of focus, um, uh, not only, you know, in healthcare itself, but for investors. Um, and there, there are some public companies out there, um, like CRISPR Therapeutics and uh, Editas, um, uh, I guess Editas, I'm not exactly sure how to, how to pronounce that. But, um, and while, th- we're, while we're thinking about pronouncing that, could you give us some background on gene editing? I know there's some folks who that like will be a new concept. Could you explain what that is? Yeah, so I mean, um, I, I haven't gotten my doctorate in it myself or anything. So again, I must clarify that. But it's um, it, you know basically a way to go in and, and um, edit DNA to eliminate um, certain uh, vulnerabilities, um, or you know can actually potentially um, be used to uh, sort of remove uh, the DNA that would cause a, a disease. Um, and so it's being used right now. Some of the early um, tests that are going on are, are there's a sickle cell uh, candidate out there um, that's in early um, testing. Um, one of the companies is, is looking at childhood blindness. Um, and obviously on a, on a larger scale, you know, uh, the, the big diseases and, and issues um, like, like cancer um, could eventually be be addressed but you know it's in the very early stages and there are some moral concerns because uh the big you know just to be frank about it the big concern is is like you know custom gene editing babies you know if you, if you want to have a certain baby with certain characteristics that they're obviously huge concerns there so like i said very early stages but it's a very high um potential area well, these are some fascinating insights that I know um, will definitely resonate with our institutional investor audience, but some of them I have a feeling will be new to them. So we appreciate your insight and your thoughts here. Sanjeev, John, thank you so much for joining. Thanks very much. Thank you again for having us. Thank you. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. You can even check us out on YouTube now. Thank you for joining. 
See you next time.